0: you are listening to the blockchain dialogues podcast all views expressed on this show are for educational purposes only and not meant to be taken as financial advice
1: hello and welcome to another episode of the blockchain dialogues podcast with your hosts krishna and nikhil in this podcast series we analyze various cutting-edge technologies and projects in the field of blockchains dlts and cryptocurrencies VPNs, as we know, have been long considered as a great tool to protect user privacy when sharing data over the internet. However, as various data breaches of VPN providers themselves have shown us in the recent past, centralized VPNs have the drawback of becoming centralized points of attack and failure, much like any other centralized entities. With blockchain technology, today we have the ability to build decentralized VPNs or dVPNs. That can provide VPN services over a decentralized network without having central points of failure. So, to take a closer look at decentralized VPNs, we have with us today, Dan Edelbeck, who is the CEO and co-founder of Exedio Corp. Exedio is the development arm of Sentinel Network that has built an open-source decentralized VPN operating on the cosmos blockchain. Dan, a very warm welcome to you on our show from Nikhil and myself.
0: Hey, thanks so much, Krishna and Nikhil for having me.
1: Yeah, welcome, Dan. To start off, could you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got involved in the crypto and blockchain space and your journey up to co-founding Exidu?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't think I have necessarily kind of the traditional kind of route to getting into crypto. I guess there is no kind of traditional way, but um, my career primarily has been in the social impact space. So I've worked in uh, nonprofits and, um, I, after, uh, graduating undergrad with a business degree, I took a job with Nestle and my client was Walmart. So I had 17 different Walmart stores that I had to call on, uh, and do sales for them. And Nestle was a great company, but I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. I couldn't go to Walmart anymore. Uh, so I was there for less than a year and I realized that I wanted to make a bigger impact than, um, just helping to get more product on a shelf at Walmart. And so I moved to Chicago and I worked for five years at a nonprofit called the CARA program. It's now called CARA Chicago. Um, and CARA's mission is to help end the cycle of poverty and homelessness um, via employment. And my job was helping with uh, Chicago's homeless population, getting them quality jobs and making sure they stayed on the job. And I specifically was um, pitching them as candidates and working with all the different hiring companies in Chicago and putting them uh, quality candidates in front of them to get uh, interviews and set them up for uh, this next path in their success. And that was a really, really awesome and rewarding job. Uh, And I was there five years. And then my uh, girlfriend and I decided we wanted to have international experience. We wanted to continue to do uh, social impact work. And we moved to Costa Rica to serve in the United States Peace Corps. And in um, Costa Rica, we helped local entrepreneurs uh, get their businesses off the ground on a small island where the entire island's economy was really fishing, um, and we helped develop an ecotourism economy there. Uh, we built out trails, and we uh, got 17 different businesses together in an ecotourism collective to share resources and be able to provide tours and housing and transportation and different activities all across the island. Um, and it was when I was on that island, actually, that I started doing a lot more research into personal finances and into um, emerging technology. I've always been kind of a tech nerd, and always adopting tech at an early pace. And I was always one of the first people to join um, websites. I was early, I think, on Facebook in 2004. Or I was one of the first people in the United States on Spotify. Or um, early on Napster. And I was always kind of a you know looking at new technologies and how we can how they can apply to our lives. And um, yeah, so I kind of fell down the crypto rabbit hole in 20 the end of 2016, early 2017, um, learning about all the different use cases of blockchain. And um, that was also at the time that I got involved with Sentinel at the end of 2017. Yeah. So that's kind of my journey into the blockchain space. And then how Exidio came to be was um, I was always involved in Sentinel, but more as a community member and someone that was really excited about the tech and the concept of decentralized VPN and providing a peer-to-peer network where we can route our traffic through so that we can have a more secure and private experience online. And in Learning more about uh, Sentinel and understanding the tech and the tech stack and the consistent developments of the project, I was always very active and vocal in the community. And I went to do my MBA uh, in 2019 and graduated in uh, May of 2020. But it was right around that same time that um, I was working with some of the leads of the project and they realized that to go from an anonymous kind of DAO structure to an organization that's gonna be able to provide white label products on top of the Sentinel network, and really grow and grow partnerships within the entire uh, blockchain and data privacy uh, you know, industries, we needed to have the right structure in place. So myself and our CTO, Srinivas, uh, founded Exidio. And as you guys mentioned, we're the software development arm that helps to contribute to the Sentinel DVPN protocol. And we're also a blockchain specific um, development agency, and we can help build uh, products and tooling, especially within the Cosmos ecosystem.
2: Awesome. So, as I understand it, Sentinel is a separate entity, and that's that's basically the blockchain network and the foundation and what have you. And you're basically uh, building on top of the central network a bespoke solution for VPNs that works on that network. Correct? That's exactly right. And Sentinel itself
0: doesn't have any one person that controls it. It's truly a peer-to-peer network, and anyone can participate and opt in or opt out. And Exidio, like you said, we're the software arm that helps any company that wants to integrate with the Sentinel network and use that as their infrastructure to build their own VPN company.
1: Great. So just just to take a couple of steps back, and I'm assuming that pretty much everyone in our audience knows what a VPN is. But nevertheless, uh, Dan, if you could just give a quick walkthrough of what a VPN is, what it does, and when you have so many different centralized VPN providers right now, What do you see as the main need or selling point for decentralized VPNs?
0: Yeah, absolutely, Krishna. So a VPN uh, is a virtual private network, and it's the concept of routing your internet traffic through a different IP address, so not your own. And there's different uh, use cases for that. So someone might use a VPN to be able to obfuscate their information so it's not going through their internet service provider and their ISP can't track their information. So this is actually a huge problem that's happening very consistently, especially, um, you know, around the globe, but especially in the West, um, big companies like, uh, Time Warner or, um, Verizon or Comcast that offer you your local internet. And they oftentimes have a monopoly on the markets that they're serving. They're tracking the metadata and usage of everyone online that's connecting to their, um, IP addresses. And with that information, they have a trove of data on their user base, which they can then use for whatever purpose. They can resell it to third companies, third parties uh, for profit. They can uh, mine that data to be able to target you for specific um, for specific needs or, or advertisement. Um, and, you know, it can be used against their uh, the individual Internet user. And another reason you might want to route your Internet traffic through a different IP address is to be able to get access to content. So um, instead of hiding, uh, you know, your information online and maintaining your own privacy and, so- and sovereignty on the internet, you might also do it to be able to get access to content that is otherwise blocked. Um, and oftentimes people use VPN for something as simple as streaming services. Um, uh, maybe you're traveling and you want to be able to access your Netflix or your, you know, internet, cer- your, your streaming services locally in your, you know, your home country and you're away. Or it could be something more important, like getting access to free media like Wikipedia or um, Twitter or information to be able to get access to the, the world's information, um, which we all have the right to access to freedom of information. And by routing your traffic through different IP addresses in different jurisdictions, you're able to open up a whole other aspect of the
1: Internet. Great. So coming on to uh, what you're building at XCDO. So, Sentinel is a network where you have this decentralized marketplace of bandwidth to provide the decentralized VPN services. Uh, and then you have a second entity called the ST Foundation, which is a nonprofit uh, that I guess is responsible for partnerships and providing grants within the Sentinel ecosystem. And then finally, you have XTDO Corp, which is the main development arm. So, Dan, could you give us an overview of how? the sentinel dvpn ecosystem works Uh, we know that you use a new consensus mechanism called proof of bandwidth Uh, what is the economic model or the incentivization model around it Uh, and whether i'm a person looking for dvpn services or whether i'm someone looking to provide dvpn services by sharing my bandwidth uh, how do i do so
0: yeah no that's absolutely right krishna so um, you kind of hit it on the head as far as the uh, entities that are at play within sentinel so there is the peer-to-peer Sentinel bandwidth sharing marketplace, um, the Sentinel network. And then there is the s foundation, and that's a nonprofit foundation supporting the Sentinel network. And like you said, can offer grants and helping with, uh, helping to support any organization that's providing tooling or key resources to help continue to build the Sentinel network. And then Exidio Corp, we are a company that you can hire if you want to build your own VPN, and you want to help get help with integration on the Sentinel network. Or you want to get help with the front end uh, software development and ensuring that your application is open source and it's um, easily auditable and it has the right user experience for your user base. Um, and so the reason we need to centralize VPN is centralized VPNs don't have that uh, architecture. It's one centralized company that maintains all of the servers and also builds the front end application and does not open source their code. And so VPN companies today are a lot bigger liability than we realize. Instead of having our internet service provider be the um, honeypot that collects our metadata and can resell that uh, on other marketplaces or use that against our will, we're just passing that down the line to our VPN company. And VPN companies claim that they're not logging user data and that they provide an end-to-end encrypted experience, but they can't prove that they're end-to-end encrypted. And their code is not open source, so you don't know that it's actually end-to-end encrypted. And in fact, a lot of VPN companies have been proven to be actually logging user data. There have been many hacks where it's actually shown that while they claim to be providing a sovereign, independent, private experience online, they are actually logging your user data. So it's a serious concern that I think people don't fully realize when they're signing up for a VPN, is that that's one company that now has access to all the servers and has access to your internet traffic and your internet metadata. Another another issue with centralized VPNs is that because they're managing all of their own servers, that comes at a liability because those servers can be shut down, or those servers can be put on a blacklist, um, designated as a VPN, and then the one reason you're using a VPN to get access to content that you wouldn't otherwise um, is no longer not useful because that content is blacklisted from that IP address but all of this is flipped on its head in a decentralized VPN model. So with Sentinel, it's a peer-to-peer network. So Krishna or Nikhil, you guys could offer your bandwidth to the network um, from your your home internet, or you can have um, multiple ISPs that uh, you use to offer bandwidth to the network. And by offering that bandwidth, you're actually generating income, you're generating revenue in the form of the DVPN token for offering that bandwidth to the network. And so as people come together to build a more robust and strong decentralized network, it's far more difficult to um, manipulate or to hack, and it makes for a really robust peer-to-peer network where we completely overhaul how we get access to the internet. And because all the products built on the Sentinel network are open source, you can go and review the code and prove that it is end-to-end encrypted and that you're getting a secure experience online.
2: Oh, nice. You said as a DVPN provider, I could kind of earn tokens. Is it earning tokens, or does it get automatically generated based on the fact that I've got a host on the Sentinel network? Yeah, it's
0: automatically generated. So I know you mentioned the proof of bandwidth before. So that's the um, protocol that's, be, that's utilized to validate the amount of nodes on the network and the amount of bandwidth that's shared on the network. So with proof of bandwidth it is able to track how much bandwidth you're sharing to the network and who are the um what are the different um nodes that are routing their traffic through your bandwidth and then for people that are paying um to the service that gets converted to the VPN token and then the VPN tokens are distributed based on the amount of bandwidth shared uh, from all the different uh node nodes
2: Oh, that's so. So that's very interesting. So, uh, as a client, therefore, I don't necessarily need to have a direct relationship, or I don't need to know who my provider is. I just say I'm just using this much bandwidth, so I'm paying them so much. And as a provider, I don't need to know, or I don't need to have a relationship with the client. I just say that I'm providing so much bandwidth, so I earn. Uh, I'm generating so many so much tokens. That's very elegant.
0: Yes, that's exactly right.
2: Awesome. So uh, to go a little bit further uh, into the, the tech, a little bit on the technical side. So uh, what kind of uh, technical stack uh, is, it, is it, is it for a, do you have to have for a DVPN? You said you provided uh, services for uh, companies who wanted to set up uh, their own. So if I were like a company or if I were like a person who wants to set up a DVPN service on Sentinel, uh, what kind of considerations should I be thinking about? Uh, You know, uh, I know that Cosmos is obviously one of the underlying things. So should I have a Cosmos token or is it okay? How do I need to run a Sentinel node? How, How would that actually work? Sure. So if you wanted
0: to set up your own, you know, VPN application and build it on the Sentinel network, you would, the main thing that you want to be considering is who is your target user base and what are the features and and what is the form factor of the application that you want to build? You know, do you want to build an application on mobile devices? Is it going to be integrated within a browser? Is it going to be integrated within your own website? How do you want your customer base to interact with uh, your decentralized VPN? And then what does the um, integration look like? So is that building those front-facing applications, is that's, that something you can do in-house or is that something that you would want to hire um, for the back-end development and front-end development? Um, and then the actual integration on the network itself um, is is pretty straightforward. Um, you leverage the, the decentralized um, ban- um, nodes that are um, offering bandwidth to the network and you can select the parameters of different nodes that you want to be offering to your customer base. It could be specific... Um, Geographies, it could be specific um, throughput credentials, it could be specific um, consistent uptime of nodes. Uh, you know, you might have a minimum threshold for consistent uptime for the nodes that you're offering your consumer base. So really it's more about go-to-market strategy. It's more about understanding who your customer is and what the reason that you're building the application is. And then we would um, you know, to be able to be built on the network, it would have to be ensured that the application itself is open source. And people can review the code.
1: Just to jump in real quick, since you mentioned about the go-to-market strategy, I just wanted to touch on uh, some of the other uh, DVPN providers that are there uh, in the market right now, and a like, couple of prominent ones being Mysterium and Orchid. So, uh, Dan, could you quickly compare how Sentinel DVPN compares with some of these players in terms of you know who can run the node and all of those factors? And two, could you also talk a little bit about the DVPN alliance that you have launched in partnership with the Mysterium? So what are the goals there and, you know, how you look to go about working together, you know, with other DVP providers in the alliance?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned um, kind of who can run a node. I think that's an important consideration when you're looking at how to make a um, truly, you know, decentralized and long term successful decentralized VPN project. Um, for Orchid, for example, is uh, they've, you know, done well with their branding and, and establishing um, the network. But I think they have a ways to go in making it a truly decentralized and peer-to-peer network. I know that they used um three different VPN centralized VPN companies to run the nodes on their network on the back end. So, you know, Krishna, if you wanted to just spin up a node and offer bandwidth to the um Orchid network and be able to receive passive income, that's not actually possible at this moment in time. And I'm sure that's a part of their roadmap. Um, but it's that's something that's an important consideration right now. Um I don't know when they plan to implement that, but um, I know that the network did go live, I believe, in 2018. Um, so it's been a few years, and they haven't quite gotten to that level of decentralization yet. Um, but, you know, I hope that they do. And when they do, we'd be happy to invite them to the DVPN alliance. Whereas Mysterium is a peer-to-peer network. Um, and so they're building a, a similar kind of peer-to-peer bandwidth protocol and bandwidth-sharing uh, marketplace to Sentinel. Um, but one distinction is that... Um, on Sentinel, all the nodes that are offering bandwidth, they post the data, um, all of the, um, the data points about their um, node to the blockchain. So their IP address, their throughput, their latency, their uptime to the blockchain. And so the blockchain is the place that stores that information. And um, then front end applications, every uh, couple minutes, ping the blockchain via API. Get that information and post it on the front end application. Um, with that architecture, there's no, um, it's truly independent. The nodes that are offering bandwidth are completely independent from the front end um, VPN applications built on the Sentinel network. With that, it provides a lot more opportunity for Sentinel because of the throughput of the Cosmos blockchain and also because of the interoperability of the blockchain. Um, so Sentinel can mo- mo- much more easily incorporate payments from other um, other blockchains that are incorporated on the inter-blockchain communications layer, the IBC, um, and it will also make it for more seamless payments for fiat gateways as we bring on payment providers um, into the different applications. So I think the main difference between Sentinel and Mysterium is, is um, leveraging the Cosmos blockchain to be able to uh, provide scale.
1: So on on the aspect of payments, uh, do you have like a monthly subscription model or do you support micropayments, you know, where you just pay as much as uh, you use the bandwidth?
0: That's a great question. And the answer is yes to both, soon. Um, So right now, it's the network, we're recording this in the middle of um, May, May 20th. And Sentinel went live on Net the 27th of March, so less than two months ago. Sentinel will soon be implementing um, its next um, upgrade on mainnet 2 on its IBC protocol on Cosmo. Um And after Sentinel is upgraded onto IBC, it'll be porting over all of the DVPN nodes onto um, IBC. And then after that, the, the network will be transitioning to more of a paid model. Right now it's um, free for users to get access and to try the applications. And when it uh, switches to a... Um, a paid model. There will be uh, options for both the traditional kind of subscription service, which we anticipate mo- majority of users will use. Um, it's a lot more convenient and easy to kind of know your predictable costs. Um, and that will be like a, a base monthly fee, but also there'll be the option to do micropayments where if you just want to watch one video in another country in a different jurisdiction, you can log onto a node. And be able to watch that one video and only pay for the amount of bandwidth that you use for that one node. And that will be up to the individual node hosts that offer bandwidth to set the prices that they want to offer per, you know, um, megabyte that's uh, used uh, in bandwidth. So um, there'll be kind of a standard pricing model and there'll be dynamic pricing model for the micro um, usage of the application.
1: Great. So just... One, one other thing that I wanted to touch on, you mentioned that some of these things are in the works. So you currently have a desktop client that uh, you can directly configure with the home router. So, you know, you can essentially make your own home Wi-Fi and all the devices that are connected to it go through the Sentinel VPN network, right? So could you just talk a little bit about that as well? Uh, is this already available as a feature right now or is it in the works currently?
0: Yeah, so it's in the works. So that will be our version 3 of our um, desktop client and that's been built by Exidio and that's getting overhauled right now. Um, And actually we're in the process of hiring aggressively both front-end and back-end and full-stack developers. Um, And we actually just offered somebody a job right before this call. Um, And so we're definitely in the thick of um, heavy interviewing and recruiting. Um, And with that, we're overhauling the the V3 application. So that, um, I know that our CTO Srinivas had just put out um, some of the base um, back-end code for the CLI client, Um, but instead of command line interface, we really need a um, great user experience, front end um, desktop native application. And so that is in the works. And with that V3 client, um, we'll have a greater functionality like the ability to offer a DVPN um, Wi-Fi network that all of your devices that connect to that, that DVPN network will be able to have a private connection online. So yes, that's that's something in the works. And I think that's going to be a huge boon for the growth of the network and to make it more accessible. Um, and Sentinel's gotten really good feedback in the past and, and it has really good uh, reviews on like the Google Play Store, uh, for example, and, and iOS. And the reason is because it's always taken a lot of feedback from the community. And I feel really lucky that we have a very large and active and engaged community. And with that, we're always seeking feedback on how to iterate the applications. Um, but the desktop applications, um, the v two client is is definitely not the um, user experience that you know we expect and uh, is still kind of um, pretty rudimentary. and so the v three client should be a, a pretty big overhaul of the desktop applications.
2: That's great. Uh, actually, I just wanted to quickly step back a little bit and uh, ask a little bit about. Uh, How the Sentinel validators and Sentinel nodes are managed. I imagine uh, you have a separate set of validators uh, which are separate from the actual DVPN providers, or am I going down the wrong path? And if you have validators, what's the consensus model and how do they actually, uh, what's the incentive for them to be there?
0: Yeah, no, you're exactly right. So a DVPN node host is separate than a validator on the Sentinel blockchain. And validators on the sentinel blockchain operate um, very similar to validators on the cosmos blockchain or on other uh, cosmos sdk based blockchains um, so there's uh, the validators are validating all the transactions um, on the network so um, all the transfers of dvpn tokens all of the delegations of dvpn tokens and providing security for the network um, and with that uh, token holders that hold sentinel tokens the dvpn token can delegate their tokens to validators and earn uh, staking rewards for doing so. So it's a delegated proof of stake uh, consensus uh, mechanism, just like all the other um, Cosmos-based projects. And um, with that, uh, you know there's there's kind of a long-term incentive to hold and, and uh, grow the uh, you know the security of the token. And it's not as much just a speculation token, but it is used for uh, the growth of the network. And also, the token is used um, for payment within the DVPN application um, to be able to pay node hosts for offering bandwidth. Um, And then also, if you're holding and staking the token, you're earning rewards as well. So not only for staking rewards, but you're earning 20% of the revenues that would be generated by node hosts offering bandwidth to the network. So if you're a node host offering your bandwidth, you're earning 80%. Of the the revenue that you're offering for your bandwidth, and twenty percent is being distributed back to token holders that are staking the token. So it's um, I think a pretty sticky um, design that that incentivizes people to participate and get engaged in the community and and see the community grow um, with um, I think a pretty strong use case for the token within the ecosystem. And then uh, you know validators are are we've had a lot of support from a lot of people within the blockchain uh, community, uh, a lot of people within the greater Cosmos community, um, a lot of people that uh, were a part of a private raise the s Foundation offered. Um, and so uh, I feel really fortunate that not only do we have a really strong community, um, but there's a really strong validator set. And in fact, um, there were 50 validators at the onset of the network on the 27th of March, um, but there were way more companies and validator sets that wanted to validate on the sentinel blockchain and so there was actually a governance proposal that was passed on chain to increase the validator set to 64 Um, and there's still about 30 other validators that would like to be a part of that group of 64 Um, i think we're in the 90s of total um, validators looking to be one of the top 64 on the network so um, definitely feel fortunate that there's a lot of demand to secure our, our blockchain
2: Awesome. So, uh, so I, I imagine the governance also runs a similar thing to most proof of stake uh, models, where you have sentinel token holders actually uh, voting to pass a governance proposal and increase the validator set or decrease it. Is that right? Yeah, that's that's right. That's great. Uh, we've talked about so obviously we've got the validators and VPN providers and the VPN clients so how does uh, the dvpn company get uh, wh- what is the incentive model there or what is the business model there so like for example like exedio you have built a uh, front end in uh, in ios and uh, android and mysterium has built uh, well mysterium obviously is a separate blockchain but could, uh, theoretically another person could come and uh, create their own front-ends and back-ends, right? So how, wh- what's the incentive for them?
0: Yeah, and there has been another company. Oh, okay, awesome. Yeah, so Elysium is another company that's built on the Sentinel network, and they've actually seen significant traction as well. Um, I think um, their application is called the Velocity VPN, and you can search Velocity VPN on Android. Um, I think they have 150,000-plus downloads, Nice. And so we're seeing real global traction. There's been over 300,000 devices across the globe that have uh, been using applications built on the Sentinel Network, and that's before we're really looking to scale the amount of white label companies that can build their own applications on Sentinel. So we're definitely, and the majority of those 300,000 are not, you know, crypto native individuals. They're truly individuals looking for a better security and uh, VPN solution for their needs, and so. Um, the marketplace is definitely validating that there's there's a huge opportunity here, uh, and it, it, it's going to come down to executing and and bringing the right products to market. But if you're a company that wants to launch your own VPN, the economic model is that you charge and user, you know, whatever price that you you deem fair, um, and then you're paying for that you're paying that passing the bandwidth forward that cost forward to the node hosts that are offering bandwidth to the network.
2: Okay, so. As a DVPN client, basically, I have, uh, I have, I'm actually subsidizing both the, uh, the person who's basically building the front end software or the Android client and all that, as well as the validators. And, uh, then, uh, after both of them, basically it's a provider that gets the third piece of the cost. Correct?
0: Uh, yeah, but not the validators. So the validators in the blockchain, are um, earning revenue by the commission that they charge for being a validator uh, to secure the blockchain from the inflation model from uh, staking incentives.
2: Uh, okay, but 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 you had mentioned a twenty percent uh, cut all, uh, from what the provider provides, right?
0: Yeah, to the stakers. So you can essentially just if you you can you can think of it that way, or you can just think of it as a hundred percent. Yeah, 80% to the, the node host and 20% to the stakers. Um, but that's not an additional 20%. That's just that 20% of that is allocated to stakers. So yeah, if you are paying for uh, the DVPN application, you'd be paying, um, to get access to, um, secure, decentralized, private, uh, access to the internet. And that revenue then would be passed on to the company that's offering that front end service. And as well as um, the DVP and node hosts that are offering bandwidth to the network.
2: Absolutely. no. I mean, I I just wanted to get that clear in my mind. I mean, it sounds perfectly uh, fair. So in terms of some some of the uh, security aspects, right? Uh, One of the things that I was thinking about when I thought about the central network is, what happens if I'm like a malicious uh, person or like the CIA or somebody, uh, and I want to poison this network, right? So I basically come up and become a a node provider, not a node provider, I say DVPN provider, sorry. And uh, I join the network and I become part of it and I create a multiple DVPN provider so that the chances of me being one of the hosts that uh, a person hits is higher. How, how do you kind of make sure that that doesn't happen?
0: Yeah, so that's a good question, and that's really the reason that the Tor network isn't all that it should be or isn't built up to be, because that exactly has happened. Um, you know, intelligence agencies and certain, um, uh, you know, entities with their own interests have taken a large control of the only few thousand nodes on the, nor- the Tor network, while there are millions of end users on the Tor network. So the disparity between users to nodes is really extreme and uh, that that network has been compromised. Um, and so because the Sentinel network is incentivized, it makes the network far more sustainable long-term because you're oftentimes what happens is like people spin up nodes on Tor and offer bandwidth to the Tor network. But then over time, you know, out of the goodness of their heart, isn't, isn't the only reason that they stick, stick around. Um, and so those sometimes nodes close over time and the network becomes more and more centralized. Um, with Sentinel, by incentivizing node hosts to offer bandwidth, it truly makes sense because you're using an excess commodity that you already have, just like uh, Airbnb and Uber um, and now, you know, Filecoin and Sia and uh, Akash. So we're seeing these ideas of these core commodities that we have access to based on our own uh, resources. We're offering those excess resources to the network and generating passive income for doing so. So that makes a far more resilient network. Um, and as we scale the network, I believe that that's, uh, crucial, but also I think it's important to be vigilant, right? So if, um, there were to be, you know, suspects that like a lot of nodes are coming on and the the activity seems very suspect or the, the reason that the nodes were coming on was suspect, I think that's something you need to be very aware
2: of. Um, and something that we can't be taken, can't be taken lightly. Um, So that's a very valid point. So are there any actions that the uh, Sentinel network can do? Is there like a governance thing that you can say that, okay, this particular node, uh, we don't want them and we can take them out or something like that?
0: Yeah, I think that would happen at the application layer. Um, So any individual application that's uh, connecting to the Sentinel network can select the nodes that are going to be available on that application. So that could happen at the application layer. But then again, um, we, that, yeah, that's something. Like I said, we'd want to be very. You want to have the community be very vigilant of that and identify any nodes that they're suspect that they don't have the right intentions and, and go from there. But also because the network is incentivized, the odds that that happens are a lot lower.
2: Yeah, and because of the incentives, there's probably going to be a lot more options as well, right? So, as a client, if you are uh, particularly suspicious, you can always switch. Uh, yeah, and say okay I don't want to use this provider I'm going to use another provider exactly right uh, I, I mean I, I assume that that's possible right yep
0: yep that's the value proposition of the decentralized network
2: and then one other so, huge
0: value. go ahead oh I just want to mention one other huge value proposition of the centralized network is that um, it's a lot more agile so you know if you're using uh, you know a standard VPN um, company they will have different nodes and different jurisdictions and they'll probably be running the same um, open source VPN protocol. So it might be OpenVPN or it might be, um, you know, ikev 2 But with Sentinel, any node could be offering their node on, you know, ikf 2 or WireGuard or um, sox 5 or um, OpenVPN. So all the different open source VPN protocols are available. And so it makes it for a far more robust network because um, certain, you know, open source protocols are more successful in getting uh, access to content over certain firewalls or jurisdictions than others. Uh, and so on the v3 client, when we launch it, the application, the, the new nodes um, based on Tendermint will be running on both v2ray and WireGuard, uh, which I think are some of the state of the art uh, open source VPN protocols.
2: Uh, This is an addition to OpenVPN, right?
0: Um, Yeah, but I also think that a lot of the nodes will be switching away from OpenVPN. Cool. But the node itself can select the the open source protocol they want to offer.
2: Absolutely. So, uh, obviously, uh, you've been building on the Cosmos blockchain and uh, you're pretty successful there. One of the questions, basically, I thought was... You know why did you pick cosmos in the first place right because you have polka dot as well you have uh you know you had mentioned uh several blockchains i think uh solana is there there's a bunch of options out there if you even if you don't consider ethereum which is obviously the 800 pound gorilla uh but uh so why Cosmos, uh, and if, it, if, if one of the reasons is interoperability, then why prefer Cosmos over Polkadot?
0: Sure. Well, first off, I would say that this was an um, architecture design, design decision that was made way before I was involved in any of the, um, the process. And I'm, I'm not actively involved in the development on the DVPN protocol. Um, some of the tech team is at at Exidio and then a lot of other developers are contributing to the Sentinel VPN protocol even outside of exidio it's it's more of a um, community collaborative development of the network um, and the network architecture. But back in um, 2017 they were thinking about what would be the needs for the success of a distributed uh, VPN protocol and um, the long-term viability of it and this was uh, really kind of early days of Cosmos um, and so some of the core developers at the time that were working on this realized that Ethereum wouldn't be the correct answer uh, based on throughput and then also they thought about the needs for interoperability um, and so they got connected with Cosmos at the very um, at the very and in the initial stages yeah, at the very yeah. early stages of Cosmos which is really before Polkadot was an option uh, and so it was in 2018 that uh, Sentinel started developing on Cosmos um, and building some of the tooling. And so Sentinel not only has um, developed uh, its blockchain on Cosmos, but it's also contributed to some of the tooling and uh, core infrastructure on the Cosmos blockchain as well.
2: Awesome. Uh, so that's great. Now, so actually, I want to kind of switch gears a little bit and kind of get your thoughts, right, on what, how do you see this going forward, right? So what is the path forward for crypto, uh, for privacy, focused VPNs. Do you see uh, any kind of uh, unexplored areas that you want to kind of go towards? Uh, do you, what do you think is the logical end game to which you are kind of aiming? That's a good question, right? <laughs> Where's the like true North star
0: and what's the meta goal here? I think it's to provide a more secure and private experience for people on the internet. And, you know, one application like a VPN isn't a, a kill shot that is, that takes care of all the security issues that one may need online. Um, but I do think that the decentralized web is providing a lot of different solutions. And so right now we're kind of all operating in a truly decentralized fashion that there's a ton of different projects kind of doing their own thing and building their own tech and making and providing solutions. But I think over the next, you know, several years and ideally in like less than five years, there's a far more accessible um, kind of like way to get access to a full, more private and secure experience online, um, leveraging multiple kind of blockchain tech projects, um, solutions in one easily accessible interface. Um, I think that we need to kind of go. That's where I think the Web3's dream will start to be realized is actually going back to some of the web two in the concept of web two, as far as great user interface and great user experience. Um, so Sentinel is helping working with a lot of other projects in web three, um, Akash is building uh, a decentralized cloud, uh, cloud compute, and they're going to be taking on, you know, like you talked about interpon gorillas like AWS, and Azure, um, that are charging crazy high prices for, uh, cloud services and, um, are really serious central points of failure. Um, and then Handshake Network is building decentralized domain names. So decentralized DNS. And we're working with them. Um, and then, like, uh, project in the Cosmos ecosystem is Secret Network. And they're doing descent, uh, they're doing, um, private smart contracts. Um, and to be able to actually execute smart contracts, uh, with privacy natively integrated. Um, and so, I believe that you know, as these projects all develop and actually bring products to market, we need to then think about how do we build a stack that makes it so that it's easy to use um, and that you're actually getting you know, security and privacy without having to use you know, 10 different um, services and stacking them in the right way. Um, we need to be able to provide that user interface and user
2: experience. So, so do you think it would be some kind of common meta protocol or do you think it'd be more in terms of like uh, another company like maybe Exidio coming together and saying, hey, okay, let me combine a cache and let me combine handshake and sentinels uh, 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 the Deep, uh, Sentinel and then something else as well and provide kind of like a package that says, hey, okay, if you use this particular framework or you go through this particular interface, you get essentially access to everything. Uh, that you would normally get uh, just using a browser, uh, uh, like, a re- like in the regular Web2 world. But now you kind of don't have to worry about, you know, advertisers uh, tracking your every move or even people kind of trying to, hackers kind of trying to eavesdrop on what you're doing and trying to gather your credentials or whatever.
0: Yeah, I do think that out of those two options, it's more likely that it's the latter that you were just talking about, and actually, this is starting to come to fruition. Um, Handshake is developing a handy miner, and it's going to be um, a miner to secure their network, but then they're in- incorporating um, uh, other um, blockchains and their uh, some of their security and uh, on the you know into the handy miner. So I think that we'll have to look at exactly what that interface looks like but i do believe like it could be something like a hardware device that is able to provide um, a more secure experience and like more uh, distributed experience but you know what that form factor looks like and how it how it truly like gets mass adoption um i think is yet to be uh yet to be determined but i think that those are the types of things that people are going to be exploring um, and those are the real opportunities to have the biggest impact instead of having a lot of individuals operating a lot of indiv- you know independent applications or uh, or networks on to to be able to get their security and privacy.
2: Awesome. So Evan, uh, we've been talking about Central EDO, and Exedio, uh, and if you wanted to uh, have uh, some of our community get involved, uh, or if you want to want to give any specific calls to action, floor is over to you, Dan.
0: Well, first off, Nikhil and Krishna, thanks so much for the time. Um, this is really cool. It's really great. Great hanging out and talking about Sentinel and Exideo. I'm really passionate about what we're building. This is truly where I think we're bringing the web back to our own rights as individuals. Um, and I think that Sentinel is a core piece of that Web3 stack. Um, and for individuals that want to get involved, I uh, highly encourage people to come and check out our telegram and get involved on our, on our, in our telegram or connect with us on Twitter. Um, and one thing that's a huge opportunity right now is in the next couple weeks, there's going to be, um, by the end of this month in May, there's going to be an opportunity for node hosts that if you, if you're not, if you haven't, if you're not offering bandwidth to the network now, but you're interested, there's going to be a special program where there's an additional incentive. Um, so there'll be like, a uh, um, liquidity access program for individuals that want to offer bandwidth to the network. Um, as we roll out our new v3 client so we definitely encourage people to participate um, get access to dvpn tokens get involved in the community and help us build a more robust and um, truly decentralized network so that we can you know take on the centralized vpn companies and centralized internet service providers that we rely on today
2: awesome yeah, likewise, it was great talking to you, Dan. I think uh, it's, it's a very impressive offering that you have built with, uh, with Srinivas and, and the rest of your team. Thank you so much for joining us on this podcast, and hopefully we can have another dialogue when your next milestone comes over.
0: Oh, I love that, especially once the network is monetized and um, all the... Um Companies that are building out or generating their own revenues. I think that'd be great to explore and kind of see
2: how we can scale the network from there. Absolutely. yeah. I think that's a great, great idea. So yeah, uh, looking forward to it. Any thoughts, KK?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, overall this has been a great conversation, Dan. Uh, and I think you're doing great work with your uh, fully peer-to-peer approach for dVPNs. Uh, overall, you know, I think uh, a lot of times uh, in the blockchain space, you see projects that are basically solutions looking for problems. But uh, here I think you've you, know, you have narrowed down on a great use case and uh, if you make it work really well, I think it'll be a huge game changer for uh, online privacy, for society as a whole going forward. So yeah, all the best with what you're doing.
0: Awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm pumped up. Appreciate it.
1: All right, folks, that concludes our podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this episode on Decentralized VPNs. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play and Spotify. And also you can learn more about us on bcdialogues.com. Thanks again for joining. See you next time.